Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning, and it is a beautiful morning out there, but I hear things are going to change. By the way, though, if you read my uh, column in the Denver Post this last week, you'll know that this cold weather we've been having recently is probably not going to have a very negative effect on fishing. In fact, this time of the year, it's probably going to have a positive effect, and we'll have several people coming on during the show to talk about different aspects of that. So we're going to cover that. We'll cover some waterfall today, too. Uh, season's shaping up a little different than we anticipated back a few weeks ago when we did the show on waterfall. This cold, warm weather stayed warm. The migratory, the local birds stayed around, but this cold weather recently has probably pushed them out. Don't know if we've seen migratory birds come through yet. And if we have, um, have they stopped because of the continued cold weather? Uh, Brad Peterson will join us in the second hour, and we'll talk about that. And later on in this hour, Elizabeth Brown from Parks and Wildlife will join us. We'll talk about the changes to the ANS fees and what's people are going to have to pay, what that's going to mean for uh, inspectors and launching your boats next year. So we've got all that coming up. Right now, we're going to go to the phones, and uh, we've got uh, a new person. He's never been on the show before. Uh, He's uh, 18 years old, and he's trying to make his mark in the fishing world, and that's Blake Elsey. Good morning, Blake. Good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day right now, but it's not going to stay that way. But we'll talk about how that affects the fishing and the kind of fishing you do in just a minute. But let's kind of tell people who you are. Um, you've been uh, you've been involved as a fisherman. You, you you told me that your memories of fishing go back your whole life. You were a competitive swimmer, I believe, and got injured and decided you wanted to stay near the water, so kind of turned your attention to more towards fishing. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh kind of just changed my life for the better so that's that's really great and and along with that you kind of look back at your memories and how you got started fishing and what it takes and you do most of your fishing from shore right now and you've be kind come out you're starting to develop a social media following and it's really aimed at fishing from shore and it's also aimed at getting youth into fishing isn't it yeah that's absolutely correct um i just really like the show kind of younger people that you do not need a fancy boat to go out and catch big fish and here in Colorado you can just hit local neighborhood ponds and just really be able to catch and capitalize on big fish without having to go have expensive equipment so you know we get we get talked to all the time we get asked all the time both in my column in the Denver Post and when I was still doing television and on this radio show we say would you cover more shore fishing and we try to uh, and it, we try to hit on it more and more. But a lot of the people in this state, a lot of the people do fish from shore. They don't own boats, even small boats. Maybe some of them will get out in a float tube or a kayak, but they still do a lot of shore fishing. And a lot of those tactics apply. And you're absolutely right. There's an abundance of good fishing from shore, not only the miles and miles of rivers. The small ponds are stocked with bass and panfish, and many have other species in them. And even our lakes provide great shore fishing. And so when you're talking about it doesn't take much to get started, what did you use when you were a starting young fisherman? Um, when I was a starting young fisherman, I went to Walmart and bought, I mean, I started out with probably a $15 Zebco combo, 
and I was able to go out. I've obviously worked my way up from there, but I was able to go out with that combo to neighborhood ponds and catch a decent-sized three, two- to three-pound bass. So um, that's kind of the focus of my social media is that when a lot of the times when you are, say, to look up a video on YouTube or on Google about how to get into bass fishing, it can be very, very, very overwhelming with all the information that's on there when really you can just get started. And the best way to get started is to actually get just start fishing, you know? You know, Blake, you, you really hit some notes uh, that I want to harp on. I, I started, obviously, in a much different era with you. I When I was young, I was in northern Minnesota. And believe it or not, I started with a Zebco push-button rod and real combo. And that's how I got started years ago. I went on to fish both professional bass and walleye tournaments. I wrote for In Fisherman Magazine. I did 22 seasons on television. And now I do this radio and write for the Denver Post. So you can certainly advance to any level you want. But the thing is not to make it too complicated. In fact, I tell a lot of the pros I work with, whether it's here on the show or doing interviews or at the ISE show where we host the tank, that a lot of times we talk to each other and a lot of the people we talk to don't understand just the little nuances that we take for granted because they're not out there fishing. What are some of the first things that when you heard some of the maybe more advanced fishermen when you were trying to learn that you went out and realized, well, I need some fundamentals to, to start this off. What are some of the things that really struck home with you? Well, when I first really noticed it is when I made the realization that I was kind of sitting on my couch watching videos instead of actually out there fishing. And it really d- won't make sense to you until you start fishing. Like if you are watching the video and they give you a, a, some kind of a tip, you really can't relate that back until you've actually ha- experienced it and made the mistake and kind of realized like, okay, that's what he's talking about. So No, you're absolutely right, isn't that? I mean, it's uh, the, the great thing about a lot of outdoor activities, whether it's fishing, hunting, camping, is you don't understand the nuances. You have to get out there and fish, and that's, that's the great thing about learning to fish. There is no substitute for time on the water, and I know you're really, really evangelistic almost about getting kids that are like 12 to 18 out on the water doing some fishing, Fishing a lot, and you're right. There's just a tremendous amount of opportunity in these small ponds. Tell us a little bit about your social media. Where do people find more, and what do you present on your social media? So on my social media, it's called uh, BME Angler on Instagram is the account. But pretty much, I just um, I, I like to go out and share my experiences on the water, and I like to look back and reflect on those experiences to learn from what I've done, but probably my favorite thing about it is having people contact me, like asking maybe what I was using or, hey, can we should go fishing sometime? Or I, I've talked to a lot of people that have, I've made really good friends having the account too, and that's what fishing does as well. But I've taught a lot of people to fish that way too. And that's kind of when I started to realize that I could really make a difference with this account. All right. Now let's talk, before we get to current conditions, let's talk about over the course of, let's just say, the last year or so, what were some of your favorite uh, fishing moments and what are some of the, some things that people may want to look forward to as far as shore, shore fishing opportunities right here in the people that are listening to this radio show? What are some of the opportunities year-round that they need to look for? Um. So... A couple of different, like, opportunities for a shore fisherman. I'd say that your biggest chance of the year is going to be the spawn. And 
to the most basic understanding of that is when the fish will pull up shallow onto their beds and they'll pretty much sit there and guard those beds and what you want to do is just target those fish and find that sweet spot where they think your presentation is eating their young and now, now you're talking about bass fishing that's your favorite yes okay go ahead yeah so that's a good opportunity and then this time of year for fall is another great opportunity as a shore fisherman because as the bait fish in the different lakes kind of start to die off what happens is um the bass capitalize on that and the bass will school up and oftentimes come shallow and push those bait fish towards the shore. So no. that's also a great time as a bank angler to capitalize on those because you can just cast right from shore and pluck them off left from right. So Now, before we get into more of the conditions right now, I'd like to do that. Bass is your favorite. Any aspirations of maybe taking it to some other levels in the bass fishing world eventually? Um, eventually, yes. I would like to uh, experiment, kind of experiment with some tournaments later on. But... Um, Right now, I just, teaching is really what's been my kind of, what's really, like, helped me is teaching other people to fish, so. All right, now you concentrate on bass. We're going to talk about some bites that are going on right now here. We've got a few minutes left in just a minute. But before we do that, what are some of your favorite baits? Let's just take us through the spring and summer, and not necessarily with what's going on at any given moment, but if you're a, a young man, you've got your Zebco rod and reel now, you're going out, you're going to try some of these ponds, what are the first handful of baits you would buy? So the first handful of baits I would buy, I would definitely have to start off with a Cinco. Um, really any brand, you can go with an expensive one, a cheap one, doesn't really matter. Um, but that's just the cheapest, like, easiest way to start out is just I'd say that's the best. That's what I started with, and that's what really got me into bass fishing was that bait. So I definitely have one of those in my tackle box, and then I'd have some sort of um, crankbait as well. So some kind of a finesse bait, like a Senko, and then a kind of power fishing bait, such as a crankbait. And then I'd also probably have to pick up a chatterbait as well. Now, back on your Senko, do you rig it wacky style, or do you just Texas rig it? Well, I started off, uh, I, I didn't even, when I first started bass fishing, I didn't even know what a Texas rig was, and I started just folding it in half and wacky rigging it, and uh that's what was catching me my fish. But when I noticed it was getting caught up in the weeds, I kind of looked that up and figured out, oh, yeah, there's a different way to do it weedless. So I kind of just switched back and forth depending on the conditions. You know, a Cinco is a great bait, especially – I'll tell you a quick story. We were filming a television show down in Mexico, and I was trying to respect the guys. It was their water we were on and stuff. And uh, I, one of our camera people with us, we didn't need both cameras filming, so we're going to let him fish for a while. So I put a Senko, a four-inch white Senko on his rod, rigged Texas style, and just told him to throw it around the brush. Uh, they, I asked them what they thought I should rig up, and I don't remember what they rigged me up with. But he had four or five large bass, and I had one. And the guys we were with turned to me and said, maybe you should use a Senko. I thought, you think? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but they are a great lure. And the fact that when you rig a Texas style, you can throw it just about anywhere. And a lot of these ponds, the bass do get deep in that cover in weeds, don't they? Absolutely. That's that's one of the best ways is... Uh, I mean, summertime, they'll be aggressive enough to come up on top of those weeds and hit topwater and such, but a lot of the times of the year, they just want to stay hunkered down in there, and that's when a Senko that really can shine is when you can get it into that cover. 
All right, we got a couple minutes left. If you were going fishing, now it's going to get cold, but I've always maintained that this cold weather in the fall isn't like spring. It doesn't turn them off. It turns them on. You and I talked, and we think reaction fishing is the way to get strikes because of those stressed bait fish you have right now. What kind of places would you go to, and what would you throw? So I'd go to, um, I'd probably go to, I'd probably look for ponds that don't have quite as many weeds this time of year, because this time of year I really like to throw a crankbait and a lipless crankbait, which have the treble hooks, which get caught up in the weeds easily. So maybe something with like a rock dam would be a good choice. Um, go fish the rock dam with, uh, I like jerk baits this time of year for bass, I like, um, and walleye as well, but I like lipless crankbaits for bass this time of year. And another bait that I like is a chatterbait this time of year. And how do you fish that chatterbait? Is it a swimming jig? Yeah, I, I'll usually swim it and just kind of let it slowly thump along the bottom with some sort of a trailer on it to give it just a little extra action. And for people that don't know, a chatterbait is like a bass-type jig, but it has a metal lip in front of it that creates uh, a lot of vibration. Yeah. Uh, um, one other thing before we let you go, we'll talk, you know, a lot of people can get out fishing. One of the easiest or probably most accessible things to fish for right now are trout. Is the water up and down the Front Range cools? Both the rivers uh, are going to get active, but the lakes too. There's lots of trout in these lakes that people don't see during the summer because the water's too warm and they're deep. Do you have a couple spots and a couple techniques you'd send people if they wanted to go trout fishing? fishing in the metro area um like some of the south boulder creek and clear creek as well for to cover rivers some of those like deeper holes if you go there and throw now that there's not so many people swimming in there you throw um panther martin spinners or mep spinners or Castmaster spoons just any really little minnow imitation that's shiny and flashy I could, you can have great success on that, and you don't need much at all to fish with that. And uh, as far as lakes go, like you said, as the water gets colder, they kind of come up shallow and become more active. So the spinners and castmasters can be a great, great thing to use in those lakes as well because they're you can cast to them there from the bank. Well, we're going to talk more about catching those trout from shore a little later on in the program. But, Blake, we're out of time, but I admire you for getting people out and trying to get youth into out fishing. Tell us again if you've got some, young, some, some older shore anglers or some young youth shore anglers wanting to get in it. Where do they find you on social media? Um, they find me on BME period angler, and that is on the platform of Instagram. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, and thanks for sharing with us. Thank you so much, Terry. You bet. That was Blake Elsie. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. And joining us from, uh, well, Roxboro Park, actually, but she's going to talk about a lot more than that is Angel Tobin. Good morning, Angel. Good morning, Terry. It's, it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? It is. We've got a few more hours before the snow comes in. So Boy, get out. You know, before we even get to the event, people right now, Roxboro, if you want to get in a little hiking and stuff before all the football games, late this morning, early this afternoon, Roxboro would be the perfect place, wouldn't it? It's a beautiful day today here, and the the leaves are, are most of them have turned brown, but that's a lower elevation. There's still yellows and golds and some reds, so it's very pretty, and it's crisp air, and it's just really nice out. Tell people where Roxborough's located, just in case they don't know. 
We are in Littleton, south of Chatfield State Park, um, just and also south of downtown Denver, about 45 minutes. Now, you're a day-use park, mostly for hiking and those type of things? That's correct. Yeah, we are a day-use park. We have limited hours, especially in the winter, but um, a lot of hiking trails. Um, and in the winter, we do a lot of snowshoeing on the trails and, and cross-country. And it's just a great place to be. It's, it's away from the city, so you feel like you're in the mountains, but it's close enough where you can do easily day trip and have a great time. Well, like you mentioned, you're only about 20 minutes from downtown Denver, but yet you see an abundance of wildlife at the park. There is. There's a lot of park, a lot of animals here at the park. We have um, mule deer you can see daily bases. We do have fox, lots of birds, uh, so quite a few animals. We do have bear, although they should be going in hibernation pretty soon. Uh, yeah, lots of wildlife. Now, you've got an event coming up that's expanded beyond the park. We're going to tell people about that. Um, it's next weekend, and now it's nice today. It's going to get a little cold for a couple of days here, but it's supposed to get really nice again by next weekend. So tell us what you got coming up and how it's changed. Yeah, we are definitely hoping for awesome weather next Saturday. Uh, we are celebrating International Archaeology Day. We're celebrating it with uh, Expo and Fair like um, um, thing at the, and we're holding it, we're holding it at Roxborough Intermediate School. We used to have it at Roxborough State Park um, every year for now, probably eight to ten years. We've outgrown it here at the park, so we have expanded it to the school at Roxborough Intermediate, and we've also joined together with 11 other agencies, so this is going to be the largest event ever, and it's just filled with informational booths, interactive areas. Um, there'll be things such as ancient skills and flint napping, pottery making, archaic snacks, mono matate for grinding nuts, and we have four professional lectures um, in the field of archaeology, talking about archaeology dating back to as far back as 12,000 years ago, all along the front range from Colorado Springs, Palmer Divide, all the way to Boulder. And uh, we have an awesome kids area, and it's going to have an archaeological dig in it, painting with brushes made from yucca leaves, and they're making instruments, they're, there's a face painter, and then also we know you're going to get hungry having all that much fun, so we're also going to have food trucks, which we're very excited about. You know, uh, the paintings from civilizations and, and people that were probably here long before we came, uh, the past residents, that was their form of social media, wasn't it? It really was, yes. That's the way they communicated, and, and we're lucky enough to have some of that still left behind that we can tell those stories of those peoples from back thousands of years ago. So we're very lucky along the Front Range here to have um, some artifacts left and just some great stories to be told. Now, I want to get back to the particulars of the event and go through them one more time, but before we do that, over the years hosting this event, the Archaeology Day, has there been a couple interesting facts that you've learned that have just popped out at you that you say, well, I never thought about that or knew that? Well, for Roxborough in particular, it's really nice to think, it's really interesting to think of that, you know, the same reasons why we enjoy Roxborough today, we like to get out, we enjoy the beauty, the, the scenery, the animals, they, that's the same reason why people 7,500 years ago came to this area and they wintered here and um, they had shelters that they stayed in and they foraged for food. And it's just, it's just fascinating to me that, you know, they made tools out of stone with their hands and, and 
today that they're left over that we can actually touch them and see them and, and see, you know, get a feeling for what they might have been feeling when they touched the tools that were sustaining them. So it's just very fascinating. No, it sounds awesome. Now, it's going to be, where is the school located that the event, it's going to be the headquarters for the event? So the school's address is 7370 Village Circle East, and that's Roxborough, Colorado, which is Littleton, and that's 80125. And I imagine there's, all this information is on website or Facebook? Yeah, it is on Facebook, and it's also on our website. There's two that I'd like to give you. We have uh, ours, of course, cpw.state.co.us, and go to the Roxborough page. And then History Colorado also did a very nice uh, web page, and you can visit them at www.historycolorado.org-2018-iad-expo, and that'll have all the information that you need. Um, and I just want to say one other thing. We will also have site tours that day at Roxborough, South Valley Park, and Lamb Springs Archaeological Preserve. And you can learn more about the local archaeology with, through these tours. Now, the site visits, those are guided tours, but you'll start from the school and you will go on location from there. Is that right? They can, the, the, the participants, visitors have an opportunity to go to the, the site that they would like, yes. Okay, do they transport to the site themselves and meet up? Is that what they do? That's correct. Okay, and they'll go to the park. Because I wanted to make sure we talked about the site visits because it, that's been always a major part is getting out and understanding and seeing some of the artifacts and, and understanding the nature of it. Now, I, I know that the food trucks will be there and they're going to be charging. Uh, what about other fees or other things? Other than park fees, are there any charges for any of this? For going to the site tours, of course, there's the pike of the park entrance fees. But at the school itself, it's completely free. Um, there's no charge. Parking is free. And you're correct about the food trucks will be charging for their food. But other than that, it's a, a free, fun event, and it's good for the entire family. Now, there's going to be booths and seminars. Give us some timing for next Saturday for when the booths will be open to the public and when will the seminars be and when will the site visits be. Okay, so we have the event at the school. It's going to start at 9 a.m. and go to 3 p.m. Food trucks will be from 11 to 3 and then we have uh, four great lectures, and they start at 9 a.m., 10.30, 12 p.m., and 1.30 p.m. And then we also have the site visits um, at 11 and 1, and those are signed up. And again, you can find out that information by visiting our website. And the kids' activities, the painting, the pottery, the kids' area, I guess the pottery is for adults, too. It but- is. But when are those activities? That's going to be all throughout, um, throughout from 9 to 3. So you can show up like at 11 o'clock and get a lot of enjoyment, or you can get there at 9. You don't have to be there for the whole thing. You can come for a couple hours or come for the day. Oh, definitely, yeah. And then definitely uh, the site visits are well worth it as well. So you have a full day of having a park experience and a fair experience and just uh, – just a great time. And once again, that's next Saturday, 1020 at, from 9 to 3. The information is online. And it looks like you're going to have some nice weather again. It's supposed to get back up in the 60s by the end of the week. So should be a great event. And uh, Angel, thank you so much for coming to share that with us. Well, thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. That's Angel Tobin from Roxborough. We have so many great resources right here close to the metro area. Parks and Wildlife provides. You know, we're an outdoor state, and we love taking advantage of those resources, whether it's a day trip 
trip or a long drive somewhere. And we're just so blessed here in the state. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right back to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Elizabeth Brown. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Terry. You know, it's a beautiful day. Uh, you know, if I could get home in time, I might even take my boat out, and the Boat ramps are still open and inspectors are on site, so I could do that. And we were kind of worried going into this year whether that might be the case getting this late. But let's, before we even get to what's currently going, let's take people back. Well, you and I are going to talk about the changes coming up in the ANS or Invasive Species uh, Program and the inspections we have here in Colorado. Uh, kind of take us through why this this even came into existence, Elizabeth. Sure. Um the uh, Aquatic Nuisance Species, or ANS program, excuse me, um, started about 10 years ago in response to uh, detections of zebra and quagga mussels. And so it's a prevention program. We try to keep zebra and quagga mussels and other harmful invasive species out of Colorado. And the way that we do that is by inspecting and decontaminating boats. Uh, because that's the one way that zebra and quagga mussels can get here. Uh, they attach and they kind of hide on watercraft, and then they can move great distances over land and be kind of put into our lakes and cause big problems for us. So, um, so we've been doing it about 10 years now very successfully. Uh, we still don't have any adult populations of zebra or quagga mussels in our state, but unfortunately those around us that are not doing this kind of prevention work um, we keep seeing more infestations in other states, so that's, you know, validating what we're doing, and uh, we want to keep them out and keep our lakes clean and keep people boating and fishing out there. No, you're absolutely right, and, you know, keeping them boating and fishing is really one of the keys. Now, first of all, we want to keep these creatures out because of the damage they do to infrastructure also. And if people don't understand, the, the, the water in Colorado is not owned by parks and wildlife or, or even most of the, the different parks and different entities that manage these lakes for recreation. It's owned by the water users or the water owners that sell to their users. And if they're in fear that their infrastructure could be plugged with these or could be damaged by these, um, they're going to shut you down and not let you go on these lakes. In other parts of the country, California in particular, a lot of water has been closed to recreation because of this. And we're a recreation state. We really want people to be able to get out there and enjoy that. So the state of Colorado had to develop a program that was acceptable to the people that own the water, right? Absolutely. Uh, we work very closely with the water owners and the providers and the managers of these facilities. Um, a lot of our dams are federally owned and operated. Um, but you make a, a great point because as much as these species can impact our natural resources and can impair recreation, can make it pretty difficult for recreation to continue because of their negative impacts, um, this is really bigger than a a recreation or a natural resources issue. Uh, this is about maintaining drinking water uh, facilities, maintaining water supplies to our agriculture and our food production, um, hydropower. So uh, this is this is a water issue and really um, a much bigger issue uh, than just um, the resource. So we try to balance um, that because, as you said, we are a recreational agency. 
Uh, we, you know, we want everybody out boating and fishing and hunting and having a great time out in the natural resources. We just need to do so responsibly and uh, keep these invasive species out to protect our food and our, our water supply. Now, uh, up till the last couple of years, um, this program, it took over $5 million a year to fund it. Inspectors mm-hmm. were put at boat ramps to inspect boats, and then the hours that you could launch and come on and off were kind of controlled by those inspectors when they would be available. And we started issuing seals as you came off. And I think most boaters out there are familiar with the program, and it was working pretty well. But we really got a disruption a couple of years ago because our main source of funding went away, right? Correct. So uh, April 2016, uh, there was a Supreme Court decision that really had nothing to do with us, but it drastically reduced our funding source, which was severance packs. Um, and so for the last two years, uh, we've been working with our partners, working with the Colorado legislature. Um, they've passed numerous measures to help the program, uh, working with our congressional delegation um, and our federal partners. So it's been it's been a bit of a struggle the last two years, but we have been able to keep um, as much of the operations going on the ground as possible, thanks to the help of, of our partnership. Now, a lot of people have seen that we have had some places over the last couple of years that the the availability of the boat ramps was restricted or, or cut back both by time of day and sometimes by season. And we just, uh, I know everybody put in uh, just a yeoman's effort to try to raise funds and keep this open as long as they could and keep it going. Uh, it was tied into a major funding bill that didn't pass the legislature a couple of years ago. But this last year now, this year, we did pass a funding bill for the ANS program. Tell us what that entails. Yeah, so this past uh, session, um, the legislature passed what's uh, called an ANS stamp. Uh, so similar to a waterfall stamp. Um, but basically, um, it's going to um, add fees so that um, boater, registered boaters, motorboats, and sailboats will help to pay for a portion of the inspection and decontamination program. And the ultimate goal is that we'll use those state funds to uh, be leveraged with federal funds and outside funds to complete the, the $5 million program. Uh, uh, target for this program. Let's tell people now how it's going to affect them, How the what's going to happen when they get their registration. Explain the program. It starts January, I believe, so it's going to start with next year's boat registration. And tell us about both in-state and out-of-state boaters. Sure. So motorboats and sailboats must now have an aquatic nuisance stamp prior to launching in Colorado waters. So um, you'll still need to register your boat. Those rules for registration haven't changed. This is a separate uh, charge for the ANS stamp. And folks that are in-state registered, so Colorado registered boats, um, they'll, be, they'll purchase the stamp at the same time they register their boat, and their valid registration will be proof of purchase. They so. really don't get a stamp. It just, it's just that they have a valid registration for next year, says that they have purchased it. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, so when folks get their renewal cards or when they go online to renew, you can renew your registration uh, by mail, online, or in any one of our CPW offices. Uh, so there'll be some information on the back of the card kind of explaining what this is about. Uh, we're working on getting our websites um, up and um, all this information up there by the end of this month. Um, and then we also have um, out-of-state users so um, now motorboats and sailboats uh, from out of state 
will be required to purchase the ANS stamp as well, and they can do so online or at an office or any one of our sales locations. So and the fee now is $25 for in-state, and that's added to your registration fee. Is that right? Correct. It is a separate charge, but you'll just pay it at the same time. Right. And then for out-of-state voters who don't register here, they're going to have to pay a $50. And I believe that if you, if you and I talked earlier, they'll get like a card, like a fishing license type card, so that if they go to launch, the inspector can ask them for it and they'll have to show it. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So the law requires that the boat operator um, uh, maintain that proof of purchase when they're operating their boat on waters of the state. So um, the in-state folks will will know because they'll have valid registration. But for the out-of-state boats, um, or or really any other in-state boat that's exempt from registration, for example, a Coast Guard documented vessel. Um, they'll get, a, if you do it online, they'll get a temporary they can print out at home, same way a fishing license works. And um, and then if you do it in an office, um, you'll get uh, one of the green CPW pieces of paper that'll be your proof of purchase. Now, when this legislation was passed, there were some concerns, Elizabeth, that it only, the projected revenue is only about half of the $5.5 million that we've needed to maintain the full program and have full access to our lakes throughout the seasons and throughout the times of day. You're, I, you, you've alluded to it already that you're working with a lot of partners, both federally and locally, to supplement this. Tell us how that works, and are you optimistic we're going to see full-service inspections available? Yeah, I am very optimistic. Um, absolutely. Uh, CPW has, has made a commitment, and they've really done a great job the last couple of years. Our partners, we've leveraged over a million dollars in partnership funds. Um, so as this gets implemented, there will be a ramp up. The first year will be an education year, um, making sure everybody understands what this is and why they need it and the importance of contributing to conservation in Colorado and preventing these species. Um, and so the idea is, and, and this program has always really been partnership-based. It just it just has to be so. <laughs> it works best that way. Um, but the idea is we'll use these um uh, and a stamp revenue and leverage that with federal dollars and outside dollars. Um, we had we had some great uh, cooperation up in Grand County this year with Granby Grand Lake and Shadow Mountain, where uh, thanks to some partnership funding that came in from Northern, um, the Bureau of Reclamation helped us out with some facility improvements. And uh, the Forest Service, of course, manages those waters, but we're able, we were able to extend our season up there from mid-October uh, through the end of November, uh, in fact, December 2nd. So we're really making an effort with all of the partners to try to provide as much recreation as we possibly can. Well, and we're and doing that kind of site by site to, to meet the needs of the customers. And that was a great example because I know that a lot of the recreation based in this uh, during the summer is, is pleasure boats and it's fishermen too. Fishermen are out there year round. Mm -hmm. But in the shoulder seasons, it's anglers. And going from the middle of October till the end of November at like Lake Granby is huge because there's that terrific fall lake trout bite that goes through October. To extend that probably made a lot of people happy. And I think anglers... Uh, hopefully the, the optimism is well served and we're going to see a lot of access because a lot of the best fishing is early and late in the year when you don't get the boat traffic that 
you get from the pleasure boaters. So the anglers will be watching that carefully, Elizabeth. But I think yeah. hopefully we're all optimistic and uh, we'll see where it goes. If people want more information, is there a website or something? Yeah, just head to the CPW website or feel free to call our customer service line and um, we're happy to answer any questions that pop up. Any last comments before we let you go? No, I just want to, you know, continue to thank thank our boating, angling, and, and even our waterfall hunters for, you know, what they do to be clean, drain, and dry in between each and every launch and to help protect our waters as well. So we appreciate the efforts out there. All right, Elizabeth, thank you for joining and taking us through that and explaining where we're at. And we're all optimistic. Hopefully we'll have lots of water access next year. And hopefully we'll have lots of water. The Getting snow tonight, that could bode well, so... Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Terry. Thanks, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Brown from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And this program is going to be extremely important, and we're going to see how this uh, extra funding works out from partners because as an angler in this state, as we've said, some of our best fishing are is is the, the shoulder seasons when the boat traffic is down and it's harder for them to justify the revenue spent. So it's going to, next year is going to be a very educational year for all of us, and we want to keep track of this and make sure we're in touch with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and let them know how we think it's going. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I like some nice upbeat music when the sun is shining, even though we know it's going to change. But what just makes you feel like you want to get out there and start enjoying that sunshine? You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Hey, I want to touch on something Elizabeth Brown commented on in that last segment, and that was the fact that they extended the inspection hours up at Granby in the Grand Lake area. There was some real concern early in the year, and I know I talked to Bernie and some of the other people up there, about having access during some of the best fishing up there. And access early enough in the morning, they've really started to work and educate themselves on that partnership up there. And that extension of those boat ramp hours is huge because some of the best fishing... Now, you can chase big fish year-round. Bernie does. He's better at it than I am. I used to chase the big fish in the spring and then the numbers of fish in the fall and then ice fish. But launching boats up there instead of stopping October 14th, going through November, you're going to get that spawn, pre-spawn, post-spawn bite of those numbers of lake trout. This is the time of the year when you can get up there and catch 30, 40, 50 lake trout in a day and just have the time of your life. You maybe not catch as many big fish, although occasional big fish will stop by, and I'm, I'm talking fish up to 40 pounds. But you're going to catch a lot of 16 to 24-inch, probably the most common size is that 18 to 20. And you can just catch 18 to 20-inch fish one right after another, take four home. So extending that was an extremely, extremely big deal. And, you know, when things like this are going on, a lot of times you can find that information ahead of time by going to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You should follow us on Facebook all the time if you're a fan of the show. On Facebook, Karen is going to post things like uh, she just posted the, the fishing report. Every week, as soon as it comes out, the fishing and stocking report, she puts on our, our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. When she adds another television show to our YouTube channel, that gets posted on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And my column in the Denver Post, it's available through the app. It's available online. It's available in the print version of the Denver Post. The very best way to read my column in the Denver Post is to... Get the link of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook because that 
ensures you're going to get all the digital content we've attached to that story. Because sometimes some of the other links, and certainly in the print, you don't get, is there a podcast of an interview attached? Is there a video attached? All that comes when you get it on the link. The best link is the one we post on our Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So we really, really encourage you to follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. In fact, we run trivia contests. We're running a trivia contest this year. It, you know, it's our 20th anniversary of this radio show. And we're running trivia contests. And the trivia consists of, uh, Karen puts it up, it's called Tidbits of Trivia from 20 Years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on, on radio. And when we do that, we have some great prizes to give away uh, to, to whoever gets the trivia right. And typically it's a... Uh, close to $100 value gift certificate for Honey Smoked Salmon, which is just unbelievable. You know, we love Honey Smoked Fish Company's salmon. But the answer to the trivia question is posted on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So if you don't, a lot of times it's an obscure thing that happened on the show over the last 20 years. And if you don't follow us on Facebook, when we give that question out, and we'll be doing one in the next few weeks again, if you don't follow us, you're not going to know the answer to that question. Also, we do a lot of uh, my columns are kept up for a long time on Facebook. A lot of fishing reports when we get out are kept up on Facebook. A lot of comments that we answer and get from other people go through Facebook. Facebook is really the key to understanding what's happening on this show. In fact, a lot of times on Facebook, if we're having somebody special on, like a couple weeks ago we had uh, we had Al Linder on once. We had Steve Panaz on once. Well, we tell you about that. We tell you ahead of time so that you know to listen on that day. We had a waterfall show a few weeks ago. We put that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook so you knew we were going to dedicate a lot of time to waterfall. Coming up pretty soon, we're going to have Ed Gorman on to give us the update on Upland Game, pheasants, and quail. We'll give you a heads up of that on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. When we have a guest house, when I'm traveling on assignment, we post that on Facebook so maybe you can too. In. Maybe you don't like to listen when I'm on. You can hear somebody else, but you get a fresh outlook with different guests. All those things you need to follow us in Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to one of our favorite contributors who we thought was kind of lost in the woods for all. We really haven't been able to talk to him much, and that's Nate Zielinski. All that more coming up on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.